So today we continue our sermon series called The Prophets in Profile. Uh, I hope that you're following along. Again, if you miss a week, you can look at the sermons, listen to them online. Um, But we do have this arc that we're traveling through um, over the last month and into next month. We began in Egypt, right, with Miriam, the prophetess. And she, along with Moses and her brother Aaron, helped get the people out of Egypt and into the Exodus. And the next week we followed up with Elijah and he's in the promised land and he's ministering to the northern kingdom. Remember we talked about how there was a northern and a southern kingdom in the promised land and Elijah is preaching and ministering to the northern kingdom, especially speaking out against the prophets and the worshipers of Baal, the Canaanite god. Last week, Pastor Fernando began to take us through the exile with the prophet Jeremiah, and he spoke of how Jeremiah was the weeping prophet and how they were sad to have lost their homes, and he connected that to his experience in Puerto Rico after the earthquake. And today we continue with some more um, of the exile and the prophet Ezekiel and what he has to say to those that are away from home. And you've heard then... This, this prophecy, the valley of the dry bones, an inspirational word meant to get the community up and to get them going. And so let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. Friends, I, didn't, I don't know if you know this, but it is an Olympic year. It is an Olympic year. And so you know what that means. Time to get training. Right? Now's the time. I know we have a lot of Olympic hopefuls here today. What, what would your event be? Maybe we've got some of those at Winter Olympics, though, I guess that you push the, what's that called? Curling, and you sweep, right? I, I think we should get up and get going, not because you're necessarily going to be an Olympic athlete, but because if you're anything like me, you're going to watch the Olympics and then think, hey, I'm going to go try that now. You're going to go out and you're going to try hurdling things and, and swimming like Michael Phelps. And I just, I'm worried for your safety. You're going to be impersonating Simone Biles on the beam. So it's time to get up, folks. It's time to get training. It's an Olympic year. Do you have anybody in your life that is especially good at getting you up and getting you going? Anybody in your life that's especially good at that? What kind of person in your life, maybe throughout your life, was the kind of person that could get you up and get you going. I I coached wrestling alongside of someone that was especially bad at that. (laughs) He would berate the wrestlers. I mean, the boys would just be yelled at by him, fist shaking, very upset with the boys if they didn't live up to his expectations. Even in a preseason meaningless match, He would make them feel awful about themselves 
in front of family and friends. Some people think that God is like that. God is a fist-shaking berator. Is that the kind of thing that would get you up, get you inspired, get your dry bones to move, that kind of motivation? It's important to know what it is that gets you up, what motivates you, what inspires you, what gets you going. It was important for Ezekiel to know that for the community in exile. Ezekiel the prophet was there in part to try to give the people a new vision for what it meant now to be community as they are in exile. Ezekiel was from a place called Judah, which is the southern kingdom of the promised land. And he was probably a temple staff person there in Jerusalem. Now what you need to know about Judah is that for almost the entire time that we know about Judah, it is under someone else's thumb. It's this tiny peanut of a country, and during Ezekiel's time, or just before his time, it deals with this massive superpower to its north in Assyria, and another superpower to its south in Egypt. It's compressed in. And it's always struggling to maintain its independence. It's always resisting the pressure to take on these other nations' gods. And there, in the middle of it, is Jerusalem, which is the city that holds it all together. Jerusalem is the glue that holds the, this kingdom of Judah together. And on two occasions, the Assyrians attempt to sweep in and cast them out of Jerusalem, but the people fight and they listen to God, they rely on God, and the Assyrians are pushed back. And their homes and their families and the temple, their place of worship, is kept safe. Then one day, in the middle of the 7th century BC, everything changes. Everything changes. Someone once said that a nation or an empire built by war must maintain itself by war. And Assyria is no exception. Unfortunately for them, they run into this bigger, badder foe. And as the seventh century comes to a close, the Babylonians, this foe, have completely overtaken the fading Assyrians as Israel's chief danger to the north. Are you tracking with me? Isn't this exciting? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> now, unlike the Assyrians, the Babylonians won't be pushed back. They won't be pushed back. They're going to take this tiny wart of a country as their own. And their king is this ruthless man named Nebuchadnezzar, and he systematically crushes the colony and wields the decisive military blow in 586 BC. And with victory in hand, he demands that there be no restlessness in the kingdom. And so heartbreakingly, their beloved temple, which was built 400 years earlier under Solomon's leadership, is destroyed. A massive event in the life of the community. 
And at that time, the citizenship is deported to faraway lands, which is how we come upon the prophet Ezekiel, because Ezekiel is one of those deported. Who is this Ezekiel besides being a a temple staff person in Jerusalem? He's sort of a wacky priest in some ways. He chalks up this whole fiasco to the community's misshapen relationship with God, and he attempts through fantastic imagery. You've, You've read the Valley of the Dry Bones today, but we also remember he's the one that talks about the wheel in the sky. He uses this fantastic imagery to try to convince the people to continue to be a people of worship gathered around the goodness of God, even as they are in exile. He is a master motivator in his own way. But the exiled people, just like many of us, need something big, need something compelling to inspire them to get them going. What does it take to get you going, to get you up? Today I want you to think about a time in your life when you've been really motivated to live in the faith, to live surrounded by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be reminded that God is present in your life. Think of of a time in your life when you were very inspired in that way. It was another Olympian, a World War II era pole vaulter. If you can imagine it, I did pole vaulting in high school. Did not get very high. (laughs) It was a pole vaulter named Bob Richards. Anybody familiar with that name, the Olympian Bob Richards? Yeah. Uh, he, He said this, a person is inspired when they see themselves not as they are, but as they can become. How great is that? It's when they see themselves not in terms of their weaknesses and shortcomings, their failures and inadequacies, but in terms of what they can be. When they, be- when they begin to believe that they can be what their vision tells them, that's when they are inspired when they no longer see their weaknesses, but their greatnesses. So let me go back to that question I'm asking. Do you remember a time in your life when you were inspired, or if that seems nebulous, a time in your life when you saw yourself, not as you are, but as you might become, especially as you live this life of faith, what it looks like, not as you are, not to be as you are, but as you might become. Richards goes on to tell this story, a fascinating story, of a young man named Charlie Paddock. He was young at one point. He was born in 1900, so he's not young anymore. When he was a boy, he decided that he wanted to be a sprinter. And so he went to his coach, and he said, Coach, what do I need to be, what do I need to do to be the fastest sprinter in the world? What's the secret of sprinting? And his coach said, well, you need to get your knees up. I don't know if today's coaches would say that, but at that time, that's what they said. And so he worked on it and he worked on it. He became faster and faster. And finally, in 1920, he went to the Olympic Games and won the gold medal in the 100 meters. 
But the story doesn't stop there. Paddock came home from the Olympics and he was a hero. And he found himself to be quite the hot commodity on the inspirational speaking circuit. And so he went to a high school in Cleveland called East Tech High School and he gave one of his inspirational speeches. And after the speech, a young spindly-legged boy came up to him and said, gee, Mr. Paddock, I'd love to run like you. What do I need to do to be an Olympic champion? And Paddock told him that he needed to work and he needed to get his knees up and he gave him some inspiration and that's just what the boy needed. Inspired by that conversation with Paddock, he trained and trained. And in 1936, that boy, a black American named Jesse Owens, anybody heard of him, won four gold medals in Hitler's Germany. But the story doesn't stop there. When Owens came home, he enjoyed a hero's welcome of his own. And his hometown put on this great parade and the people cheered wildly for him and they came up to his car seeking autographs. And one of the boys that came to his car to seek an autograph, autograph was named Bones. What a perfect name for today's scripture. <laughs> Bones went to Owens and said, gee, Mr. Owens, I'd really love to run like you. What do I need to do to be an Olympic champion? And Owens told him the same thing that Paddock had told him years before. And in 1948, that boy, Harrison Bones Dillard, tied Jesse Owens' record of 10.3 seconds in the 100-meter final of the Olympic Games held in London. Inspiration. Just as Paddock inspired Owens and Owens inspired Bones, God has this way of using people to inspire our bones, to imagine what we might become as a community. God used Moses to inspire the people to march on up out of Egypt. And God used Jonah to inspire the people in Nineveh to turn away from their wickedness. God took on flesh and blood himself and even shed that blood to inspire us to live a life free of bondage. And God even used Ezekiel as an instrument of inspiration. God uses people who is God using in your valley of dry bones to inspire you to be not as you are, but as you might become, a living body, taking in God's breath and singing out God's song? Ezekiel inspired the dried up bones of the Israelites, dried up in ways that we might relate to. They were dried up bones because they'd been fighting for so long and losing too much and having too little and trying too hard. Or any of those where you find yourself in the valley of dry bones. 
Ezekiel and his message maybe can inspire us today. Who is it? Who is it in your life that's speaking in to your valley of dry bones? Even now, God is using people to inspire the community. Last week, we celebrated a holiday, Martin Luther King Jr.'s holiday. We remembered then a person who inspired us to be not as we are, but to be as we might become. A man who said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. There's something out there for us that we can become. He inspired our community. Who are we listening to these days? Inspiring us to be something better than what we are. Listen for those voices. There's another instrument of God's inspiration that many of you will recognize, Reverend Billy Graham. Heard of him? Reverend Graham told a story about how one day he went to a small town to give a, to give a revival. And while he was there, he needed to mail a letter. And he didn't know where the post office was, and so he went to a small boy from the town, and he said, can you tell me how to get to the post office? And the boy told him. And Reverend Graham said, thank you. And then he said, hey, I'm preaching tonight, so come to church, and I will tell you how to get to heaven. And the boy said, I don't think I will. You don't even know how to get to the post office. <laughs> but what the boy didn't get, and we'll forgive him for it, is that God doesn't inspire us by using perfect people. God inspires us by using people perfectly. Because Moses was bashful and Jonah was rebellious and Mary wasn't even married and Ezekiel was weird. And Billy Graham was geographically challenged, I guess. But God continued to use these people to inspire his community to think about what they might become. It might surprise us who God will use to inspire us. And it might also surprise us that God is going to use even you to inspire someone else it might surprise you to know that when I asked that question, who is it that's inspiring you these days, that you might have been on the mind of someone else in this room. You say it's fantastic, Richards writes. You're saying it will never happen again. And I tell you, you're wrong about the sprinters. It'll happen again and again in boys and girls who are inspired, in young men and young women who catch a vision of what they can become. 
You've got to be inspired. Let some great thing pull you up. In living, let some great goal, some ideal, a great coach, some lovely wife, a husband, a sweetheart, a friend, a teacher, a minister. Let Almighty God inspire you and lift you up to catch a vision of what you can be. Amen.